So last week, I ended the sermon with the phrase, live for eternity. I encourage us all to be people who live for eternity. And what I want to do today is describe what that means. How do we live for eternity? And I'm going to use uh, the words of Jesus to help us with that. To give you a little bit of context, though, that will help as we uh, go into this situation or into the, uh, uh, what's happening in our text, is that uh, in 4 BC, King Herod of Judea uh, was ruling over the, time, the area of Jerusalem. Jesus, in the area he uh, lived and ministered, was occupied by Roman authorities by the Roman Empire. And what the Roman Empire would do is that they would uh, hire people to watch over certain areas. And Herod was one of these people they hired. And these people agreed that they would um, follow the will and the ways of the Roman Empire and would enforce that law on the land that they oversaw. And so Herod was like that. In 4 BC, Herod died. And there wasn't a lot of grieving because Herod was a horrible, brutal ruler. In fact, he's the guy who, when we read about in the Christmas story, who massacred all the children, uh, all the boys, two and, un- and younger, to make sure Messiah wouldn't come. That, that's the guy we're talking about. That's Herod. And so when he died, there wasn't a lot of uh, grief, especially from the Jewish people who he uh, was overseeing. And when he died, he divided the kingdom that he, or the area that he ruled into four regions, and he gave each of his kids, each of his sons, a region to rule. He had four sons, and so each of them had a region now to rule over that. His son Archelaus uh, ruled over the area that included Jerusalem. And soon after he assumed the rulership of that area, it was Passover, And in this Passover, shortly after 4 BC, um, the Jewish people were coming to Jerusalem to worship, and Archelaus wanted to flex his muscle. He wanted to show the people that he was a ruler that would rule like his dad, that would rule with an iron fist, and he had 3,000 Jewish people put to death. And so people were scattering out of Jerusalem. They didn't even continue their uh, Passover celebration. It ended before it was even complete, and they just ran for their lives. And this is kind of the person Archelaus was. Now fast forward 30 years after that event, and that's where the text that we're going to look at this morning lies. 30 years after that event, Jesus is there with a group of people, and they're getting ready to celebrate Passover. And their mind is remembering 30 years ago the massacre that happened because of Archelaus and what he wanted to do. And their minds were obsessed with where they've been and how it's gone and where the world is at. And they saw that in Jericho, this guy Archelaus has this huge palace that has aqueducts and all this high-tech stuff that they have never seen before. And their hearts are drawn towards the things of earth. They often think about, if I had that money, if I had that power, I would do something so much better with it than Archelaus is. And they're obsessed with the here and now, the political culture that's going on, the financial wealth they're seeing, the advancements that are happening in terms of technology, and their hearts are longing for more of that. And in that moment, Jesus comes in and he talks to them about eternity. He talks to them about what it means to live for eternity. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke 19. As we continue our series, called Defining Moments. This passage and the things we're going to look at in it 
are probably uh, one of the most important messages we can hear in a series called Defining Moments. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke 19, as I said. Uh, Luke is towards the back of the Bible. If you're kind of new to the Bible, you'll go Matthew, Mark, and then Luke will be there. Also, if you have the Church Center app, uh, the verses are all there that we'll be looking at along with some notes, so you can look that way as well. I'm going to read through sections of this story that Jesus told, but remember the backdrop. So Archelaus uh, has been in power for 30 years now. The people are looking and remembering what happened 30 years ago. Their hearts are getting attached to the world, and Jesus now comes in as they look to him and says, and he says, gives them a teaching that they need to hear. Luke chapter 19, uh, we're going to read the first three verses, 11 to 14. It says, as they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore he said, this is Jesus talking, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him, and they sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. Jesus begins telling them a story about how to live for eternity. And there's a few key people involved in this story. First of all is the nobleman. The nobleman is Jesus himself. Jesus is this nobleman. He is going to go away and he's going to return. And we're kind of living in between that as people of God today. He came in the form of a human as we celebrate at Christmas time. And now he ascended, he went away, and he's going to return. But in the meantime, between those two things, we live. And so in some ways we could say what he's speaking to this group of people, he could be speaking to us as well. Then he has these 10 servants. And he gives each of them 10 minas. A mina was a coin that was worth 100 days wage. So they each had these coins worth uh, 10 of them that were worth 100 days of wages. Seven of these servants we don't hear from ever again in the story. They're just gone. And they represent the people that were talked about in verse 14 that said, we don't want this guy to be our ruler. And they sent note to where he was going saying, don't let him be our king. We don't want him to rule over us. Those people represent the Jewish people at the time who rejected Jesus as king and messiah. The remaining servants that we see in the story are Christians. They are people who represent us, who are living between his ascension and his return. Jesus is referring to Christians in this parable. He's referring to people like us who are living in between the ascension of Christ after the cross and the return that is to come. And he talks about minas, and he gives these people in the story, 10 minas. And the minas represent three things. They're not just representing money. They're representing three things. They're representing our time, our treasure, and our talents. They're representing time, treasure, and talents. And I want to go through each of these briefly. First of all, they represent our time. We all have time here on earth, but not the same amount. So from a kingdom perspective, we have a limited resource called time. There's a boundary of opportunity that exists for you and me. We only have so much time to do something for God on this earth until we die or he comes back. 
We don't have forever on earth to figure this out. The time we have today is precious, and how we spend it or how we invest it is crucial. The next thing he gives us is treasure. The minor represents treasure. Financial resources, again, all have some but not the same level. The money he has given you is not your own if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Once you give your life to Jesus and you become a Christian, you don't own anything. Everything you have, you are managing. It belongs to God. You are a steward of the resources God has given you. And so you're a manager of what God has given to put to use in godly ways, to put to use to further his purposes and his kingdom on earth. The last thing that minas represent is our talent. Not all of us have been given the same gift or the same skills. That's what makes the body of Christ a beautiful thing. We are diverse in the talents and the skills, abilities and attributes that God has given us. And he wants us to use these things to advance his kingdom purposes here on earth. That's why he gave us the skills and abilities and attributes and talents he did. Anytime God wants to move on earth today, he looks to his church to use their time and their treasure and their talent to advance the purposes that God has for the earth today. That's the purpose of the church, is to carry out God's heartfelt passion to advance his kingdom by using their time, treasure, and talents that he has given him. And this story is all about holding us as his church accountable to do that very mission that he's called us to do. He's looking to us. We have been entrusted to advance our king's purposes until he comes again. And when Jesus comes back again, there are going to be, there's going to be a great judgment to hold us account to what we have done while he was gone. Human beings will go through two judgments. A lot of people get confused on judgments in Scripture and what does it mean and how's it going to work. There's going to be two judgments that human beings are going to go through. The first judgment will be when you die or Christ comes and you're alive. And the first judgment has to do with are you a follower of Jesus Christ or not? What have you done with Jesus? If you've given your life to Jesus, meaning that you understand that God saw that human beings fell short of his glory by going into sin. The Bible says every single human being has fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and have been separated from a holy God. God saw that situation and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth. This is the gospel. And he sent him to live the perfect life on earth that we couldn't live. And then to go to a cross and when Jesus went to the cross, he took your sin and my sin upon himself. The Bible says, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us. And on the cross, God the Father poured out all of his punishment, all of his wrath. He has a, he's a just God, and he had to take just action against sin. And instead of it being directed towards us, he directed it to the cross where Jesus was, and Jesus absorbed this. He died, he rose again. And now he gives us an offer that if you invite him into your life, if you repent and if you believe, those are the two things the Bible says you have to do. You have to repent, you have to turn from your ways and turn to God, and you have to believe. And it's not just believing in your head that, yeah, Jesus is who he said he is. You're believing with your whole life. You give your whole life to Christ. When you do that, you become a Christian. 
That's the only way you become a Christian. Not baptism, not doing good things, not hoping your good outweighs your bad. The only way you could become a Christian is by surrendering your life to Jesus and trusting that what he did on the cross is what brings you into heaven and into God's glory, not what you did in your own merits and strength. So the first judgment will be, what did you do with Jesus? Have you given him your life? Have you invited him in? Are you a follower? That's the first judgment that we will find. And for Christians, the beautiful thing about that judgment is when we stand before God in that judgment, we stand covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because we couldn't stand in that judgment in our own righteousness. It's not strong enough. So we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And now there's a second judgment, and this is what sometimes gets confusing. The second judgment is going to come when Jesus comes back to earth. And the second judgment involves Christians who gave their life to Jesus, and now they stand before Jesus, and the second judgment is going to be, what have you done with your time and your treasure and your talents while you were on earth? What did you do with the things that God gave you? It's going to be a judgment of accountability. The first judgment has to do with what God did for us. The second judgment doesn't have to do anything to do with what God did for us. The second judgment is what did we do with the stuff that God gave us? What did we do with our life in between his ascension and his return? That is the issue on the table. What did we do with what God gave us? What did we do with our time and our treasure and our talents? See, there'll be a judgment ahead that we'll have to give an account. So let's keep reading. Look at verse 15 to 17. At his return, here's the judgment, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. Let's unpack that a little bit. Jesus returns, and one of the servants appears, and he says, what have you done while I was gone? He said, I took the minas you gave me, the ten of them, and I made ten more. I doubled what you gave me. I took the time and the treasure and the talents you gave me, and I expanded your kingdom to the max. I, ex- I doubled the Uh, what you have given me. I lived my life solely focused on what I could do for you and expanded your kingdom, double what was given to me. Well done, he says. And then he says, I'm going to give you 10 towns. There's two things we have to look at here. First, I want you to notice that the reward is consistent with the expansion. You earn 10 minas, you get 10 towns. The reward is consistent with the expansion. What you do for God on this earth with your time and treasure and talents will be rewarded to the same degree in the eternal realm. The second thing, authority over 10 towns. What does that mean, 10 towns? Well, here's the deal. We talked about how the judgment, the second judgment is going to happen. That'll happen when Jesus comes back to earth the second time. 
We await as Christians the hope that Christ will return. Not a hope like we're wondering if it's going to happen as a verb. It's hope like a noun, like it will happen. And because it's going to happen, we hang on that. And when Christ returns, the Bible says he's going to do a few things. First thing he's going to do when he returns a second time is he's going to destroy Satan once and for all. Satan will be rendered powerless, he'll be put to death, so will all his demons. There will be no more evil, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more shame, because Satan, once and for all, will be destroyed. In this meantime, God is allowing him to do things, but at the end, he will finally be destroyed. People say, how can a good, loving God allow evil and suffering? Because the story's not over yet. He's doing things now for his purposes, but in the end, all that was unjust will be put just when he finally punishes Satan once and for all. The second thing he's going to do is have that judgment that we talked about, where believers are going to have to give account. What did you do with your time, your treasure, and your talents? The third thing he's going to do, the Bible says, is he's going to set up a new heaven and a new earth a new heaven and a new earth. See, we think like when we die now and go to heaven, like that's where we're going to be forever and ever. But the Bible says, no, when Christ comes, that heaven's going to stop. This earth's going to stop. There's going to be a whole new heaven and a whole new earth. He's going to redeem earth and turn it into a whole new place. He's going to redeem and give us a whole new heaven. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And what's going to happen is in those places, we are going to get to, if, if those who are faithful with their time, treasure, and talents will have authority in that new heaven and new earth. So when he says in here, you'll have authority over 10 towns, what he's referring to is you'll have authority in this new heaven and this new earth. See, when we get to the new heaven and new earth, there's going to be things for us to do for eternity. Ban from your mind all the crazy pictures of what heaven is where you think you're just going to be floating on a cloud with a harp and a bunch of Gerber baby angels. Nothing could be further from the truth. Heaven and the new heaven, new earth is going to be the kingdom of God established and it's going to be ordered and it's going to be living out God's purposes and those who are faithful in the here and now will have places of authority in the new heaven and the new earth. That's why it's so critically important that we don't live obsessed for the now, but we live for what is to come. The more you do on earth after you're a Christian with the time, treasure, and talents God has given you, the more authority you will have in the new earth and the new heaven to come. What you do now will matter for eternity. Gladiators once said, we have to live, in our way, live today in ways that echo in eternity. And nothing could be further than the truth for us as Christians. Are you living in a way that's echoing for eternity? Because there's a direct connection that Jesus says here from how we live in the world today to what's going to come for us in the new heaven and the new earth. Look at verses 18 and 19. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. So he says to him, there's this variation that happens. What you do with your life now will determine the variation in the authority in the realm you have and what's to come. Let's look at verses 20 to 23. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you are a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you said, you evil servant. 
If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. The third servant comes in and starts to get really defensive to defend his position, why he didn't put into use what the master gave. This servant has probably played defense their whole life. The servant did not do what the king expected his people to do. Jesus' response for these types of servants today would be, you call me master, but it didn't change any of your priorities on earth. You call me master, you call me Lord, you call me savior, but it didn't translate and reflect into how you live your life today. You just sat back and took it in and lived your life the way you wanted And his words for that kind of situation are harsh. It's not well done. It's you evil servant. Your commitment to God didn't change the way you lived on earth. And when that happens, we fall into that place we don't want to be. To live the best Christian life for eternity, you must know how to use your time and your treasure and your talent for God on earth today. You must know how to use it today. The third servant didn't even put it in the bank. The the third servant did nothing for God in his kingdom. And Jesus tells his story to reflect those who would live in our age, who take the benefit of being saved, who take the benefit of being forgiven, but do absolutely nothing to invest in what God's kingdom would be in the here and now. He didn't even put it in the bank. Why would he not do that? This isn't in the text, but my humble opinion as to why this servant, who is a representative of somebody on earth who accepts Christ but then does nothing, why they would behave that way is that they forgot that the master was returning. They forgot that Jesus was coming back. They forgot that Jesus, when he said, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, they blew that off. You see, we live in a day and age in the church of Jesus Christ, not just Crossview, but the church all over in the United States has forgotten the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to do those things we said, and he's going to ask for an account And so that should make us live today in view of the fact that Jesus is coming back. And so I want to live my life today in a way that's going to create echoes for eternity. I want to live my life today in a way that's going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you took your time and your treasure and your talents and the things I gave you, and you first and foremost had in your mind's eye the fact that I would come and you want to expand my kingdom in this place called earth. That's the view of a Christian. That's the view of a kingdom-minded person. But we forget that. In these days, he wants you to live your life for him. All your time, all your treasure, all your talents. There are peoples whose lives out there need to be impacted by Jesus Christ. There are people out there who need a friend to come alongside them in life and show them how to live. 
There are people out there who need to hear the amazing gospel story that yes, you are a sinful person, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you could be forgiven by God, live in grace, live in mercy, and have eternity with him forever. Do you even know the gospel and how to share it? There are people out there whose poverty needs to be eliminated. There are people out there who need to be healed and comforted. And in this person who's represented in this third servant, all that is going on in their world and their life, but instead of moving forward with their time and their treasure and their talent to make an eternal impact, all this servant does is sit back and say, bless me, bless me, bless me. And Jesus' words are harsh for that. And we have to be honest and truthful about that. Sometimes people say, well, this is such hard teaching. Don't talk about it. No, this is grace that we get to hear it now, not when we stand before Christ. So what happens next? Look at verses 24 and 25. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. But they said to him, Master, that person, he, he has ten minas already. You see, Jesus rewards those who go all out for his kingdom in this life. In this life between his first coming and his second coming, heavenly reward is credited in the new heavens and the new earth. That is where the wealth Eternally, eternal wealth will be exchanged. If you did not use your time, talents, and treasure in this life, it will be given to somebody else in the next life. It will be passed on. And we can see here there's a public thing that happens. Jesus does this publicly, and I guarantee you it's not going to be a thing where people are going to be pointing and laughing. But if you don't use your time, talent, treasure in this life, it will be given to somebody else in the next. That's how this process works. And then we see the principle in verse 26. Look at verse 26. This is Jesus speaking. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Everybody who has taken their time, talents, and treasures and put them to good use for my kingdom in this life will be given more. The principle is this. You get into heaven by becoming a Christian, but you don't automatically receive heavenly reward for being a Christian. You get heavenly reward by serving the master Jesus well with your time on earth. You see, heaven and the new heaven and the new earth will be experienced differently among Christians. When you use what God has given you, your time, your treasure, your talents for his glory, when that becomes priority in your life, and you think, how do I use my time and treasure and talents in order to benefit others, and you do it, that gives you heavenly reward in the time to come. That is what God credits you in eternity. And it's not that hard. It doesn't mean you have to become a pastor or a missionary. In fact, it's better that you don't. God is looking for people to use their time, treasure, and talents in the marketplace, in the public sector, in their homes, and in their neighborhoods to live out his kingdom agenda in those places. That's what he's desiring. After you give your life to Jesus Christ, that's just the beginning. That's not the end. 
It's not you come to Christ and now you sit back in the forgiveness and the grace God gave and you just let what happens in the world happen. No, you engage this world and you engage this world not for the sake of engaging the world. You engage this world for God's purposes and sake and glory in mind. You engage this world with a vision of eternity. We don't get credit in the heavenly world to come just because we gave our lives to Christ at 10 and now we're 70. The answer now is what did you do with that 60 years? What did you do with the time and the treasure and the talents I gave you? That is what matters for reward in the next life. The third servant made a huge mistake. He did not take the master seriously. And the key mistake he made was this. He became consumed with the things of this life and it distracted him. It lied to him. It blinded in his eyes what was to come when Jesus would return. It consumed him. He didn't live knowing Christ was going to return. As followers of Jesus, we're supposed to live like with the view that Jesus Christ could return any minute. So many people get caught up in how's Christ going to return and when's it going to happen and all. If think, picture this with me. Think of how crazy this is. There's people that get obsessed with how Jesus is going to come back and when he's going to come back. And then when it happens, they're going to be this person who is obsessed with that. And Jesus is going to say, you know what? I'm taking your time and treasure and talents. And I'm giving it to this person because when they were on earth, they actually did something instead of just sit there and wondering when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. God is saying, use your time, treasure, and talents in a way where you know I'm going to return any minute. Use it to advance my purposes. Don't get caught up in the when and the how. Get caught up in the why. Use it to advance my purposes in life. There was a missionary named Charles Thomas Studd who saw the condition of the church in the United States in the 1800s and felt they forgot the fact that Christ was going to return. They forgot how to live in this day and age. And he wrote a poem about it. And I wanted to share that poem with you as I wrap this up. And so I asked my friend Hope, our friend Hope, to come up. And she's going to read this poem by Charles Thomas Studd that he wrote in the 1800s to reflect and awaken the church of Jesus Christ in the United States and to have a vision for eternity. Only one life. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, and soon its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a, brief, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. 
Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be past. And only what's done for Christ will last. Thank you, Hope. This morning God is saying to us, live now for what's to come. Live now for eternity. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Living for eternity, we wake up every day and we consecrate our lives to God. Someone once said, in the morning when you wake up, consecrate your life to God, and when you go to bed, confess the sin that you had that day. Live a life of consecration and confession. We wake up and we say, God, I want to live for you today. I want my life to impact this world for Jesus. And maybe when you walk out the door and you begin your life, you hear of someone who's going through a difficult time and God puts on your heart to help them out. Maybe it's getting prepared, like you really want to learn the gospel well enough that you can share it with somebody and tell them what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross so they can get, each, have, get into heaven. Maybe you want to learn how to make a disciple because God has commanded us. That was Jesus' last words when he left, go and make disciples. And that wasn't just for pastors and missionaries, that's for everybody who calls himself a Christian. And his parting words was go and make disciples. And maybe you want to learn how to do that. Maybe it's just saying hi to somebody. Maybe it's giving somebody a gift card. Sometimes God drops things in our heart and tells us just to do it. Just obey those things. I remember sometimes I'll be in the parking lot at Pick and Save and I feel like, I don't know for sure if it's God or not, but I feel this thing that God's just saying, go t say hi to that person and just introduce yourself. And as crazy as it is, I go do it. Or I'll take their cart and put it away. You live your life, and I'm not saying I'm the one that should be modeled here because I blow it as easy as you, but we live our lives in a way where we say, God, I want to yield my life to you today, and I want to give you my time and my treasure and my talents in a way that would create echoes in eternity, not just bless me, bless me, bless me. Not just being obsessed and focused on this life where there's so many distractions to pull us away from the truth of eternity. God, I want to be available to you today. Work through me and build an account for your glory. You see, this is what we have to trust and know, that when we invest in eternity while on earth, that is when life on earth is at its most fulfilling. So many of us feel like if I let go of the things in this world and I invest and focus on the things of eternity, I'm going to miss out on all this stuff here, but that's a lie from the pit of hell. This life is experienced best when it is spent and invested on the things that are to come in eternity. It's kind of like this. If this water in this bottle represents your time on earth, regardless if it's 70 years, 100 years, or less. If this water in this bottle represents your time on earth, then the water in the ocean represents eternity. And at some point, this bottle is just going to be dumped into eternity. But so many times what we do as Christians, we get so obsessed with the water only in front of us in this bottle. And we forget all about what's to come. And so we end up living just for this, 
And if we do that, a day is going to come when we stand at the brink of that and we're going to wish that when we were here, we were living for that and not just living for this. Because when you live for that, that makes this the best. Next time you're before Lake Michigan or the ocean, something bigger than Lake Wazicha that looks more vast, I want you to think about eternity. And I want you to remember that you live for eternity as a Christian. You don't live in the here and now. So what you do now in this life, do for Christ. When you love, do it for Christ. When you speak, do it for Christ. When you post online, do it for Christ. When you act, do it for Christ. When you spend your time and your money, do it for Christ. When you share the gospel for others, do it to the glory of Christ. And when you make disciples, do it for Christ. Because this is the reality that stands before you and I right now. You and I right now have two choices. When we walk out this door, we can either spend our lives on this earth or we can invest our lives in eternity. We can either spend and waste our lives on this earth or by living now for the view of eternity, we can invest our lives in the things to come where we will get reward and we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. the Christian missionary who wrote that poem would speak to us today and say, only one life, that's what you and I are in, will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you take the words of Jesus in this passage and you drive them into our hearts in such a loud way that all the distractions and all the lies of our current culture and the way we live that just pull us from this purpose would be silenced in the voice of your Son. Let our spirits and our hearts be so sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of your Son that we would be motivated, that we would be transformed, that we would be single-focused, set on carrying out your purposes with the breath that you gave us in the days to come. God, I ask you to cement this vision in our minds and hearts, and I, I pray specifically for us at Crossview Church, that we would be an expression of the people of God, that when it's known and thought of what about Crossy Church. It would be nothing less than they're the people who live for eternity with eternity in mind to the glory of God. Lord, let that be the case, not for our glory, but for yours. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.